Hi all, and welcome to another episode of Sustaining Sustainability. My name is Chris Gassman. I'm the Senior Associate Director at the Center for Sustainable Business and am your host today. This week, I'm joined from Knoxville, Tennessee by Suzanne Shelton, CEO of the Shelton Group and now an ERM group company. Shelton Group is the nation's leading market communications agency focused exclusively in the ESG space or environmental social governance space. She regularly counsels C-level executives at Fortune 1000 organizations on how to best define and leverage their sustainability approaches to drive business results. Suzanne, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, pleasure to catch up this way. So, Suzanne, how do you describe your professional or personal purpose, and how does it guide the work you do? We exist to create a market advantage for the organizations that are creating a sustainable future. In other words, we, we believe, and we've seen this play out over and over and over again over the last 17 years in practice, that if companies do good things for people on the planet, and then they tell the story of the good things they're doing, People like them better. Uh, they prefer the brands. They want to buy their products, and they want to go work for those companies. And those are those are the outcomes. When I talk about creating a market advantage, those are the outcomes we can create. Is that we're positioning our, our clients for for brand preference. We're helping drive sales. We're improving uh, outcomes with investors, and then of course attracting and retaining the best and brightest employees. So that's what I get out of bed to do every day. Sort of underneath that is, um, you know, we, we've 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 long been motivated by this idea of wow. Um, if we can help companies be a little bit better and then tell that story and then that drives a business advantage, then companies are going to keep working to be better and better. So that's that's the power of uh, of, of telling a good story um, that, that drives a business advantage. Okay. Um, but I also happen to be the mom of a 12-year-old daughter. And when she was about three, I was at a, a conference. It, it doesn't exist anymore. It used to be called Fortune Brainstorm Green. So Fortune Magazine puts on this conference or used to put on this conference every year. And um, it's a real, it's a real intimate. There's only about 200 people, and it's a, you know, a lot of star power on the stage, um, kind of a C-suite event. And so you're you're close to the people that are having conversations on the main stage. And and on the, in this particular conference, um, Dr. Stephen Chu, who used to be the um, the head of the Department of Energy under Obama, Dr. Chu is a very positive, upbeat person. And somebody asked the question about. Um, about like, how are we going to make sure we don't exceed two degrees of, of warming? And so the moment that's burned in my brain is this positive, upbeat guy, like slumps his shoulders in his chair. Like that's the moment that's frozen in my brain. And then he, he his head hangs down and he shakes his head and he says, every model we run, every model we run shows we're going to exceed the two degrees. Like there, there is no avoiding the two degrees. And like the mom and me, because I know what that means. Like I challenge all of you that are listening, go Google that. What happens if we exceed two degrees uh, uh, global warming? What, what happens if we exceed three degrees? So go Google that. It's an apocalypse, y'all. And so the mom and me heard that and just like, thank God I didn't scream it out loud, but everything inside me was like, no, no. And I, I like, I was almost moved to tears. Like I cannot, that cannot happen on my watch. I cannot, I have a three-year-old. I cannot. I cannot accept that forecast. I cannot accept that we're just going to go about our day and I'm leaving, you know, a, a Mad Max world to to my daughter. No way. So that's, I, I mean, I, I literally imagine sometimes like being on my deathbed and looking into her middle-aged eyes and saying, honey, I did everything I could. 
Um, I did everything I could and we turned this around. So that's what gets me out of bed every day. That's what motivates me. It's not a quick pithy purpose, but that's what it is. No, that's good. And uh, multiple layers of strength to draw in there. And uh, thinking about uh, a few of the points that you just touched on, that you recently wrote a fascinating piece in GreenBiz about companies leaving credit that they deserve on the table and missing out on a five to nine trillion dollar market. So what's inspired that piece and what should marketeers do differently in light of those insights? Yeah. So at Shelton Group, one of the things we do is that we survey Americans two to three times a year. We're now doing this globally now that we're part of ERM. Um, and, and what we're doing in these surveys is trying to understand uh, back to those outcomes, what do people believe and expect? From companies, and what do those you know? What do those beliefs and expectations then mean for the 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 brands people prefer, the products they want to buy, and the places they want to work? Um, so we've been doing the surveying for 17 years. So we've got some nice trends. We've really been peeling back the layers of the onion on what do people think, what do they believe, what will they do, etc. And so what we know, Chris, is that Americans, their mental model around eco-friendliness is all wrapped up in recycling. In other words, if I wanna be eco-friendly, then my job is to recycle. So let me ask you, why do they think that? Why do they think that eco-friendly equals recycling? It's the thing that we all see advertised. It's the thing that has all the signs and communication around. That's right. It's exactly what we've told them for 40 years. I mean, I would challenge anybody listening to this, next time you're at a grocery store, just walk down any shelf, pick up a product and flip it around and see if there's not a recycling symbol on it. I bet in any grocery store, there are you know, 27,000 messages about recycling in one, in one grocery store. Either there's a recycling symbol or there's a, a message flat out telling you to recycle or there's a message about recycled content. So this is what we've hammered, 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 hammered. And we've totally abandoned the other two R's of reduce and reuse. We just go right for the juggler with recycling. So the the... Basically, the message we've given people is, hey, you know what? If you recycle and we recycle, planet's going to be good. Uh, is that true? No, it's not true. We cannot recycle our way out of climate change. So certainly recycling helps. It's a piece of the equation, but it is not the biggest piece of the equation. So the thing I'm on my soapbox about a lot lately is two things. A, companies are spending a ton of money to get to net zero, to set, set and hit their science-based targets. Like companies are on it. Like we got, we got to reduce our greenhouse gas impacts, people. We got to do this. So they're on it. They're spending money on it, but then they're not talking about it. What they're talking about is recycling. And so they are, so thing one, they are not getting the credit they deserve for all this good work they're doing, but worse and maybe more nefariously thing two, they're, they're, they're perpetuating a false promise. That promise that, oh, as long as we recycle, the planet's okay. We need to tell people the full story because, A, it's all hands on deck. We need everybody to do their part. Just like one person can't solve climate change alone, neither can all the companies in the world. Like we need the companies, the governments, the people, like all hands on deck. So we need to motivate everybody to action, thing one, and then thing two, companies should be getting credit for it. And I can tease you that I would, just before this, uh, just before this call, I was going through uh, some of our latest global insights with our VP of market research. And what I can tell you is, again, as kind of a tease around the globe, and it's true for America as well, um, folks are generally worried about climate change. Like a, like a high percentage of them believe it's real, it's happening. Sooner than later, 
folks are going to connect that last dot. Oh, I know climate change is a problem and I know it's caused by greenhouse gas emissions. Then they're going to connect the dot to, oh my gosh, this is really bad for us. And then they are going to be looking to companies like, what are you doing? And I want to also be really clear. I think we should talk to people about recycling because we're still not getting all the material back that we should. A lot of stuff's going in the environment and a lot of stuff is going in the landfill that shouldn't be. So we do need to talk about recycling. But in addition, we need to talk about what we're doing on climate. So I think the, the thing for marketeers is, um, you know, look at what the FTC is saying. Use that as your Bible. Use that as your as your guardrails. Um, and whatever you do, let's not go all the way to the other extreme to green hushing, because that's happening with a lot of companies too, particularly companies that are based in the EU. There's a lot of fear that, oh my gosh, we're going to get sued for anything we say. And it's not true, y'all. It's just, you need to have a seasoned marketing team that understands that, that we can put claims out there as long as they're verified. Like we can, if, if we put verified claims out there, we got the data for it. We're golden. Um, and you can have those verified claims and build a nice, compelling, emotional story around them. So let's not go to green hushing. Let's just be clear that we've got verified claims and that they're aligned uh, with the guardrails that are already being put out there by regulatory bodies. Very good. And so building on that then, so one topic in our recent sustainable business forum on the customer sustainability interface was how to authentically communicate with customers of all types. So also including you know, the B2B and the B2G in ways that build relationships, right? So you wrote recently on this in the buzz on buzzwords. Mm -hmm. what, what insights came up in this report? Consumers understand the language of recycling. So terms like recycled, recyclable, um, they understand that language. They don't really understand so much the language of climate. I mean, some people do, but not, I mean, you know, you have 60 to 70% that understand the words related to recycling, and you've got like 30% that understand words related to climate. So again, this is back to companies aren't using these words as much. We're, we've, we've heard about recycling and recycled content for 40 years. We've got to up our game and start making climate and greenhouse gas emissions and you know, carbon footprint and net zero, like we've got to get these into the everyday vernacular so that people uh, are comfortable with them, they understand them, and they feel better about the companies who are doing something on those fronts. Um, we also learned, I, I think, some other interesting things is that um, how, how a company should talk about their sustainability efforts very much depends on who they're talking to. So in a broad brushstrokes, uh, folks like me, so Gen Xers uh, to boomers, we're pretty all bought in on this recycling idea and we feel pretty responsible for that and we understand that language now we do feel some sense of personal responsibility like our actions matter and we should do the right thing um but sort of the old school language around sustainability resonates with us whereas younger consumers so the younger um uh younger millennials and gen z uh they look at words like green and go whatever it's meaningless they look at words like recycling and recycled content and go whatever, meaningless. It's all a big lie. Um, so they actually prefer words like uh, like low carbon footprint and net zero. Those are words that resonate with them. So, uh, you know, it, to my advice that you need to get out there and start talking about climate, it's easy to do it with a younger consumer. With a middle-aged consumer, it's a little bit harder, but you can lean into that personal responsibility piece. Um, and, and I think talk about it in a way that's like, hey, we've all got to do our part for the planet, and we've got to do a little bit more than recycle. We've got to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and here's how we can do it together. So um, yeah, I would say this report, by the way, is available for free on our website at sheltongrp.com. So just uh, navigate right to it. You can download it for free, and you'll learn lots of cool things about 
um, about how people are thinking about the buzzwords we use in marketing to talk about sustainability. We'll make sure to put a link to that report in our show notes, uh, again, around that idea of not everyone uses the term sustainability, or we each have different terms that resonate with us and uh, that we use more authentically. So um, as the the marketeer, make sure that you're engaging with your audience in the, in the language that they use. So uh, on that, that note of uh, you know, engaging folks where they're at, um, we've been talking a lot about the E side of things um, in ESG. You know, where do buyer perceptions of the people behind the solutions, you know, whether that's from employees to the suppliers, factor into how they see brands and thus how brands should communicate about the people side of their work? Uh, back during the pandemic, so in 2020, we uh, we released a report called Good Company. And the impetus for that, Chris, was that we, we'd heard from consumers in our data for a long time that um, this idea that they, they were increasingly looking to buy, quote unquote, good products from, quote unquote, good companies. So we wanted to better understand, well, what, what in the world is a good company? So we, we asked folks, hey, uh, name three companies you consider to be good, and it's up to you to decide what good is. And so we got all these open-end you know, examples of what good companies are. And then we asked, okay, well, so why? Why did you consider them to be good? Um, and then we did the flip side. So name three companies you consider to be bad, and why did you consider to be bad? And then a whole host of other questions. But what, what emerged out of that is the number one thing um, that, that people, sort of the number one attribute in terms of considering a company good when it comes to the ESG realm is all about employee treatment. Um, you know, you're not going to consider a company good if they don't have good service or, you know, if they don't make a good product. Like, but once you get past those things and you start to get into the E, the S and the G, it's all about employees. In fact, when we, when we give folks a list of, Hey, which of these things should companies be doing for you to consider them good, treating employees well and paying a living wage are the number one and two answer by far. And like, you know, over half of people in America give those as the top answer. The number three answer trails distantly. You know, many communication companies base themselves in major coastal areas like the Bay Area, DC, New York City, etc. How does locating your business in Tennessee help you spot different insights that helps your work on ESG and sustainability? You know, over the years, I've had consultants that I've hired come in and, and say, "Oh my gosh, you'll never be able to." You'll never be able to build a, an agency that has the real impact that you want to have from Knoxville, Tennessee. And, and that's proven to be wrong. Um, we, we've had tremendous impact. Our client base is the Fortune 500, um, and we work with them every day to make a huge impact. And of course, we just, just sold to ERM, which is a global company. So now we have the benefit of all those resources all around the world to make an impact. Um, but I will say what it, what it gives us is... Um, we're in a deeply red state. We're surrounded by people who don't think about things the way we do. And I think that's really healthy um, because we're seeing what's really going on in middle America. We're living it every day. Um, and, and that's healthy. When you're living in a blue bubble, it's easy to think that everybody thinks like you do. And you're shocked when you find out, oh, my gosh, most people don't think like me. But we're surrounded by people who, um, who, who represent the mainstream. And it's, I think it's good and it's healthy. Again, we do a lot of social listening and we hang out in a lot of corners of social media that are a little scary because we're trying to see where the puck is going, to quote, to quote uh, Wayne Gretzky, right? So what, what are the things that, that may seem really fringy and weird to us today that could become mainstream in five or 10 years? And so, so we saw concerns, not just about plastic waste, but about the health impacts of hey, now this stuff is like, it's in our food stream because fish eat it and we eat fish. And you know, now we've all heard about, oh, we eat a credit card worth of plastic every day, but we hadn't heard about that 
um, you know, several years ago. So we saw this move from the fringe to then mainstream consumers getting really concerned about plastics in the ocean, like to the point that they were way more concerned about that than, than climate change. And I think we got on to that early and in a way that nobody else was talking about at the time. And those insights were quite shocking when I would stand on a stage and say, people are more concerned about plastics in the ocean than they are about climate change. Like by far, people would be like, that can't, that can't be true. Climate change is the more existential threat. It's like, but um, mainstream moms are really concerned about content and chemical content. And what am I putting in my, in my babies? What, what am I putting on them? And what am I putting in them? I can't tell you how many focus groups I've been in where I've heard moms say, oh my gosh, I always buy organic for my kids. My husband, whatever, I buy him the regular stuff. He can eat anything, I don't care. But my kids, I'm gonna make sure I take care of them and feed, feed them the organic stuff. So this idea of plastic in our food stream um, caught on in the mainstream, uh, you know, with mainstream moms uh, in a way that I think everybody missed. Now we all see it, but I think everybody missed it early on. Yeah, Suzanne, one thing that we ask all our guests, what call to action would you make to our listeners? Talk about climate. I think for many years, I mean, if this were, Chris, if this were 2010, I would tell you, oh my gosh, don't talk about climate. It's too divisive. It's too scary. People don't want to hear about it. We can move folks to action by talking to them about other benefits that also happen to result in a lower carbon footprint. So let's talk to people about saving energy and not feeling drafty in their homes and lowering their utility bill and taking control. Let's do that. Let's not talk about climate. But now it's time to talk about climate. Um, so everybody needs to get out there and talk about it. And, and again, not to scare people, but to help them understand they need to do some stuff and get really prescriptive. Y'all, it's, it's about using less energy. The end. We all understand greenhouse gas emissions are bad. What causes that is burning fossil fuels. So we got to stop doing that. So think about all the ways in which you're burning fossil fuels, whether you're driving places, you're heating and cooling your home, and then all the products you buy, what fossil fuels are involved in, in creating those products. So, so you, we got to look for ways to reduce it. And we all need to do that. So brands need to start talking about that with consumers and motivating consumers to action. And then the brands themselves need to take, take all those steps and talk about what they're doing and how they're inspiring other brands and their whole industry to do the same. So get out and talk about climate because uh, too many of us have our head in the sand and it, it is indeed an existential threat to humanity. So we got to do something about it. So talk about it. Here, here. Well, so that is a perfect note for us to end on. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Much appreciated. I'm so glad to do it, Chris. Thank you. And before we sign off, my name is Kristen P. Ahern, and I am the producer and editor of Sustaining Sustainability. I want to tell you about our next event on June 8th, where Professor Jennifer Smoklin of the University of Pittsburgh and a partner at Reed Smith will present a framework for navigating climate regulations for small and medium businesses. Head to sustainablebusiness.pit.edu slash events for more information. This podcast is made by the Center for Sustainable Business at the University of Pittsburgh, directed by C.B. Bhattacharya. It is made possible by all our member companies. To learn more about our upcoming programs or about becoming a member, please go to our website or follow us at PitCSB on all social platforms. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend or colleague, and we'll see you soon for another episode of Sustaining Sustainability.